My name is Tiffany Marchink. I'm originally from Charleston, South Carolina, which is where I entered into the military after a semester of college. I spent 24 years in the Army on both active duty and in the reserves, most of which was spent as a religious affairs NCO, formerly known as a chaplain assistant. I also spent some time as an Army recruiter, and my last six years of being in, I was an instructor for AIT. AIT is Advanced Individual Training, or your job training, known in the Air Force as Tech School, or in the Navy Sea School. I am currently back in South Carolina doing this podcast, the Medal of Honor podcast. Hi, this is Sia, co-host at Innovation Calling Podcast here. I want to extend my gratefulness to all the men and women who have served our country. We've had the honor to highlight some amazing military leaders and learn how they've applied their experiences in civilian professional life. I'd like to give a shout out to retired Brigadier General Robert Spaulding on how the U.S. can be more innovative for the future of telco, and Jim Murph Murphy, founder of Afterburner, on using continuous business improvement through flawless execution. It's that kind of discipline and constant drive to be better that I see in most veterans. And let's be honest, from a business perspective, it is most profoundly appreciated. So thank you for your time, your sacrifice, and love for our country. Keep on being you and proudly pursue your dreams. You've got this. And thanks again. I was on the worst battlefield ever. The darkest, coldest, most bleak battlefield in existence. What made it so bad was that I was all alone. My life and my well-being was at stake, and I had not an ounce of control of any of it. I had no control over anything, and I was all alone. Why wasn't anyone around to pull me out of this place? I couldn't get help because I was paralyzed. Paralyzed by my emotions of guilt, shame, condemnation, fear, judgment, everything but anything pleasant. On a particular Monday, I attended my first mental health appointment at the Veterans Affairs for this traumatic event that gave me PTSD. It was cognitive processing therapy. My, my psychologist, who I will call Courtney, said to me, Tiffany, you've got to find something that you enjoy doing. Something that can get your mind off of this crap that you have going on right now. Off of your depression, your anxiety, and this event that occurred. So that way you can move forward through this stuff. Not me and my sarcasm, I, I quickly responded to her, I don't enjoy anything. There's nothing out there that I enjoy doing. And she said, there's got to be something that makes you happy. 
something that you would enjoy doing. You just have to figure it out, whatever that thing is for you. I knew that I liked to connect with other people. I liked to hear people's stories. I just didn't know how to go about doing that. I did know that I couldn't go to a restaurant, see somebody, sit down at their table, say, hey, what's your story? (laughs) Tell me what it's all about. Things just don't quite work out that way. I also knew that not only did I want to hear people's stories, I wanted it to be from my community, the military and veteran communities, because they're my people. I could relate. My depression, my anxiety, and the newest addition to this list of mental health issues was this PTSD from an MST event that I experienced. To go from these heavy-weighted things to something positive, I just didn't know how to go about doing that. So the counseling that I was in with Courtney is called cognitive processing therapy. There's another type of therapy that psychologists use that's a lot more common called cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, or even talk therapy. Now, I gave that a fair shake with another therapist, but it just wasn't working out. I was doing it for about eight months, and the last... I'm going to say about the last month of it, every time I would show up, the therapist would ask me, so what are we going to talk about today? And I finally said to her at one point, look, doc, I need you to tell me what we're going to talk about today. You're the medical professional. I have these issues going on and named several issues. I said, so I need you to tell me what we're going to talk about today. I don't know how to navigate through this. But it didn't work after eight months, so I let the therapist know, and I got connected with Courtney to do the cognitive processing therapy. Now, I will tell you that CPT, it's intense. It really is. And I was even told on my first session with Courtney, now look, you need to understand that Many people do not complete this program because it's intense. And I did take a break from it at one point, but I did finish it as well. And and I think I think part of it too for me was hearing her say that many people do not complete it was was me was a challenge for me to say, okay, challenge accepted. Watch, I'm gonna complete this. But it took everything within me to do the opposite of what I wanted to do. I wanted to bury everything that happened from my MST or military sexual trauma and hope that it would just disappear. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. I didn't want to have to deal with it. I just hoped that if I'd ignore it long enough and bury it deep enough, I wouldn't have to address any of it because it would just dissipate somehow. But obviously that was an unrealistic thought process and didn't happen that way. During this CPT, I had to write out the sequence of events about my sexual trauma. And each time I had to write it, I actually had to write it out from scratch each time. I couldn't just copy and paste 
from the previous time I had written it down. It would go from having to write down the facts of the events to writing the facts of the events, but how I felt at the time it was occurring. And then <coughs> even another time having to write it down and then talk about how, how I was feeling as I wrote it. During this time also, I had to work on these ABC worksheets. ABC, uh, the A stands for an activating event. The B is for a belief or a stuck point that comes from that activating event. And then C, the consequences. And, and the stuck points, the stuck points, oh my gosh, I had so many of them. Yeah, but the stuck points are, are those, those thoughts that prevent me from recovering. Like saying that this MST was my fault, that if I had only done this or I only did that, that the uh, sexual assault would not have happened. It's not a feeling, it's not a behavior, it's just this thought that I, that a person has that is preventing you to, from moving forward. Um, and, and I had a lot of those that I had to overcome. And the events that happened this day, they, they were indeed traumatic. I didn't know a person could feel that many emotions all at one time. I felt guilty for the assault. I felt condemnation, shock, violated, rejected, angry at my perpetrator for violating the trust that I had given him after years of knowing him both personally and professionally, and even a relationship that was a little more than just a mere friendship. I was even angry at myself for allowing it to happen. Because in, you know, in the military... As a, and as a non-commissioned officer, if something is wrong, you fix it. If you see an issue, you address the issue, you fix it, and you move forward. So that's where I was hung up a lot with was the fact that an event happened to me and I didn't do anything about it to fix it or prevent it from happening. While I needed healing from the events of that day, what was even more difficult was not just feeling alone, but actually being alone as I navigated the process of filing a complaint. You see, because I was in the army, res I, because I was an army reservist, when this event occurred, it occurred on a non-duty day. In the eyes of the army, it never happened. Now, when I say it was a non-duty day, that means that, yes, I was still in the Army. I still had my ID card. But the event happened on a Tuesday, not on that one week in the month or two weeks in the summer kind of thing. My perpetrator, however, was still on active duty. So when I went to the emergency room of the VA, they contacted the police department of the neighboring town where the event occurred and told them what happened, including providing names and numbers, and that I just had to go from the ER to that police station to give them my written statement. And as they were doing their investigation, they contacted the perpetrator, and because he was still on active duty, they contacted his chain of command. 
And that's how the investigation started in the Army. CID in the Army, like in the Navy, it's called NCIS. In the Army, it's called CID for the Criminal Investigation Services. This event became an unrestricted sexual assault report without me even being able to choose whether or not I wanted to file a complaint. I could, however, choose a level in which I participated in the events, but that's really about all the say I had in it. This felt like it was beyond just picking at a scab and opening a wound. The wound was still raw and couldn't even develop a scab because it was just continually being relived and picked at because I had to share my story with different entities as they did their part. I had to tell the police station. I had to tell CID. I had to tell JAG. Um, JAG is the Judge Advocate General, the attorneys in the military. There were just, there were no words that can describe everything I was feeling. I, I I was just feeling rejected on every front. I was jobless. I was homeless. I was betrayed by a friend, or at least somebody that I thought was a friend. Being a veteran means having the honor and privilege to serve our country and to be alongside others who made and continue to make the ultimate sacrifice. We'll be right back. The first thing that comes to mind when I think of being a veteran is sacrifice. Because you sacrifice a lot. And if you're out there trying to raise a family while in the military, they also sacrifice a lot. Um, And I would also say pride. Because when I look at the faces of my family as they talk about my career, and, and I know how very proud they are of me, that gives me great joy. And for every soldier that served with me, um, thank you. Thank you. Because you contributed to my career. And if you're serving today, I commend you. And I would say, do not be a 60% soldier be 100% every day. So when you look at the mirror at the end of the day, you also have pride. I would say to you, be safe and God bless. I wanted answers. Usually most of which started with why, but I wanted answers, but I had nobody to ask. And quite frankly, a lot of the questions, I didn't even know what to ask. I just knew something needed to happen. And I remember when I met with the CID investigator, I asked him, how long does this process take? Because I just want to be done with it. I want it to be done and over with. He said I needed to be prepared for it to take months or even years. And I remember thinking to myself, you've got to be kidding There's no way in the world it would take that long, but it did. The investigator added, because you have written evidence, it shouldn't take as long as most of them, though. So there was a a, a bit of a glimmer of hope. Now, the piece of evidence he was referring to, I provided to both the Lexington Police Department and the CID office at Fort Jackson, South Carolina. It was written dialogue between myself and the accused that happened the day after. Now, just just to backtrack for a second here, 
At this time, I was jobless, homeless, and had nowhere to live. I found myself either living out of my car or in my storage unit sleeping on the couch. And if I had to go to the bathroom, it was just a matter of finding a place of business that I could go into to use the bathroom. My only means of income was my Army Reserve pay. And when this event occurred, I had just started receiving my VA disability income. And because I got back pay from it and then was going to be getting paid each month, I was able to start staying in one of those extended stay type facilities or hotels. And, oh my goodness, you got to count your blessings sometimes. It's amazing how we can easily take things for granted. To be able to um, sleep on a bed and then sleep, go to the bathroom, take a shower, wash clothes, all in the same place under one roof. When you don't have it, you don't realize what you have until it's not not in your life. So I was definitely counting my blessings there. Now, the day after the event, Bill called me a couple of times and even sent a text message saying, please call me. I've been trying to reach you. But my response to him was, I can't talk to you right now. Anything you have to say to me can be done right here on a text message. But I don't want my wife to see our conversation, he said. Not my problem, I responded. So I started to, I started getting messages from him on Facebook Messenger asking me how I was doing. He said he just wanted to make sure I was okay. But there's no way I can have a conversation with him after what well, after what transpired the day before. So in in a message back to him I recounted to him in detail what he had done to me the day prior. His response, I hope this doesn't change our relationship. I told him, you know, with the things I just recounted to him, less than 24 hours prior to, it absolutely changes our relationship. Why would it not? I can't maintain a friendship with someone who would do to me what he did. Friends don't do that to each other. That's not, that's not a friendship. His response was, you're right. But I continued. I said, how can you think what you did to me was okay? You know that my desire has always been to wait until I was married before having sex. His response, I was wrong. I do need to get my moral compass in check. I hope we can still remain friends, though. And I said, no, absolutely not. We can't still be friends. Come on. And his last response, what ended this dialogue between the two of us, was him saying, does this mean my career is over? Does this mean my career is over? So that was an indication of where, where his focus was. He wasn't calling to check on me to see how I was doing. He was calling to see if I was going to do anything with what had transpired the day before. And like that CID investigator said, this process did indeed take years. And 
this wasn't even a court-martial that they went through which means you know they they did a they didn't did an administrative separation board which means there were was no criminal activity that would be part of it the administrative separation board was just merely a means to figure out what the character of discharge was going to be for him because of what occurred Jag was one of those other entities in which I had to retell my story to several times, especially when they were having those follow-up questions. And I asked the attorney why they were still going back and forth about whether or not to do a court-martial. When you have a case like this, it's, you know, like within the military, it's the government versus a master sergeant, not me versus him. So I ended up being the government's witness. And when I was talking to Jag, the one, one of the ones that was going to be trying this case, his response to me was, you've got to understand, we're dealing with someone's career here, a senior NCO's career with over 20 years of service. Without hesitation or even thinking, I picked my jaw up off the floor and said to him, you've got to realize we're dealing with somebody's life here. An NCO, maybe not a senior, but an NCO who also has 20 plus years of service. As I pointed to myself, I walked out in tears, just unbelievable. I could not believe that that was just said to me that they were debating on whether or not to do a court-martial because it was somebody's career that we were dealing with, which apparently was more important than what that person did to another NCO. When that administrative separation board occurred, I testified at it over the phone. Later that evening, I received a phone call from one of the other JAG officers saying, that Bill was found guilty of two of the three charges. The paper was going to be sent up to Big Army, where his terms of separation and VA benefits were going to be be determined. That night, I cried myself to sleep. It was finally done and over. I don't know much about what happened after that, except that the paperwork got kicked back to the unit and another sep- administrative separation board was done because a new one-star general had come into command. Apparently, my testimony was used at that. His flag was lifted, and he was no longer in Hi, this is John McCaskill, recently retired Navy SEAL commander. I just wanted to say uh, what an honor it was to serve as a as a service member within the Navy and, uh, and what an honor it is now to be a veteran serving my fellow veterans in the nonprofit space. Thank you to all those who serve, uh, or have served in, in or out of uniform as a, as a service member or as a family member. So thank you to all the veterans out there and we remember and honor you. Thanks. This is where it's at. Earlier in the episode, I shared that Courtney, the psychologist I was seeing, suggested that I find something in my life that I would enjoy doing so I can focus on this thing that I would enjoy doing as I did it 
and not dwell on the things that I had going on, like my depression and anxiety and the stress of going to court and dealing with an MST and the PTSD associated with it. As I did the searching, hearing stories of individuals in the military and veteran communities is what I realized I wanted to do. I love hearing where people came from and how they overcame. Now, granted, I was sure that it was not going to work out a podcast because never did I ever really listen to podcasts, maybe one here and there, but that would be about it. And I don't like the sound of my own voice. So why would I just want to go and start a podcast? But I will tell you, in the past year, year and a half that I've been working on this, it has done more for me in my life than I ever expected it to. When I was standing in line to get my Yeti Blue microphone... I remember thinking to myself, I am about to throw away $100 for a microphone just to record four or five episodes. Maybe 10 at best. And then I'm going to disconnect that that microphone from my computer, tuck it away in in a drawer, and it was going to collect dust. But this episode you're listening to now is episode 73. And there are others that I've already recorded but not yet published in the queue. So doing this podcast has exceeded my own expectations. I have learned more and more about podcasting as time has gone by. I've made connections with other individuals across the country that I never would have had I not been doing this podcast. Some of those people have been guests on the podcast. Some of them have turned into deeper relationships and deeper, stronger connections. So that is the purpose of this podcast. My hope is that this podcast is a platform for people to share their stories, not not their annual ratings that they got in the military, Not the rank that they achieved or the job that they did, but what those personal struggles that they experienced are and how they overcame those things. And I do believe that the more we share our stories, the more healing there is in that person's life. The other benefit of sharing a story on a podcast is that somebody somewhere is going to hear your episode and gain hope because of the story that was shared. And that is my hope with my story. My MST is just a portion of of my story. My hope is that if anybody else who is listening to this episode who has experienced a sexual assault, whether in the military or outside of the military, that you are not alone, that you can get help There are people that care. If somebody is suicidal, if somebody is, has experienced uh, 
domestic violence. If you if you know you have or or believe that there's a potential that you have some sort of mental health issue, there is nothing wrong with seeking out help. So my hope and what I challenge you with now is is to get the help that you need. Take care of yourself. Whatever line of work you are in, you've got to first take care of yourself. Just like the the analogy of when you're on an airplane and they tell you, they do their safety briefing and they tell you that when the mask drop, you put the mask on yourself first. Whether it's an adult that needs help or a young child, you have to first put that mask on you before you can effectively take care of somebody else. So season two, we're going to be hearing stories from people within the military and veteran communities who have struggled with suicide or have been impacted by suicide people with mental health issues and how it has impacted their life drugs alcohol addictions mental health issues you name it whatever the issue is there is somebody else who understands it and wants to help you what black history month means to me It means honor, perseverance. It means my black is beautiful. It means I am important. It means all to me. As my forefathers has come before me, my mother, my father, my grandparents, all the army veterans that I've been established around that look like me, dress like me, act like me. We are the past present, the future. We are the culture. And it means 100% everything to me. Thank you and have a nice day.